And good evening, everyone, and welcome into Tigers Tonight. I'm your host, John Maddox, joined as always by the best co-co-host in all the land. We will start with uh, our friend here, uh, Stone's throw away from me at the Palatial Marley Manor here in Hernando, beautiful scenic crime free Hernando, Mississippi. The man who's home this week for the first time since when, Larry? First of August, the, the, the last time I did not have to, at least one overnight stay. So, uh, and, and look, we're on a record here. We're on, well, this may be a record. This is the third straight week I've actually done the show here. So, um, I am really excited because we all, not only do we have four home games in a row for Memphis, but I'm on like a home streak myself here. So, uh, uh, maybe, maybe like the Tigers, I'm going to get on a winning streak. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, you're a winner, Larry. Don't ever let anybody tell you different. Our friend Brian Moss up in uh, our northern branch there. Brian, you've already told us the low for Saturday morning. I think yes. we really don't want to hear it down here. 44 degrees, I think. I got my TSR hoodie oh on. It's, it's it's getting chilly. Leaves are changing. Oh, at least it's football weather somewhere. Yeah, it's, that's, yeah, it's got to be. Anyway, all right, so let's wrap up the Tigers' uh, win on Saturday. 44-32 was the final score over Arkansas State, a very game Arkansas State team. The game didn't really play out, I think, like any of us kind of thought it would. We thought Memphis would build a big lead and kind of – or would build a lead and Arkansas State would go away. But to their credit, they just never did. Just some key, key mistakes down the stretch, including uh, – Memphis keeping that turnover streak alive late with a 32-yard loss on a bad snap. Uh, and Jalen Allen recovered the fumble to make it eight straight games for Memphis. They tucked it in one more time from there, just to be sure. Brian, your thoughts? No, I thought it was, uh, you know, a pretty good game for, uh, for Memphis. I mean, I have some little little things I thought Memphis, uh, you know, can improve on. I think the coaching staff uh, would admit that, uh, you know, I <laughs> I've been pretty critical of the offensive line and the uh, the running game. I, I'm still a little bit critical, but hey, they they got it going in the uh, second half. So I mean, kudos to them. Uh, but overall, I mean, you have to be satisfied with the way uh, the fans, uh, I think, uh, were loud and proud. It sounded more than what was there. So definitely kudos to the to the Memphis fans that showed out Saturday. You know, Ryan Silverfield talked about that in his post game presser. He said. Um, that the fans caused that last series to go awry for Arkansas State. Back-to-back offensive penalties, false starts, and then a terrible snap, which was also aided by, and I'm hopefully we'll have a video later this week that will kind of discuss my cats, and, uh, <laughs> and four plays that really made a difference in the game. And one of the things, Larry, about that end sequence the, where the bad snap happened, um, I thought it was interesting. Matt Barnes walked somebody up to the line that hadn't walked up in the previous yep. two plays, and I think that caused the center to kind of rush the snap a little bit, and Blackman wasn't ready for the ball. But, I, you know, I was really impressed. Arkansas State made some plays, but I was really, really impressed with the Memphis defense on Saturday. So uh, we'll talk about the play um, in just a second. Um, I want to go back to – the, the crowd. So, and, and I don't want to get into this. God, we've been fighting this. How many people are actually there? Well, they, it, it, I think the official attendance was 32,000. Uh, you know, on, on the home side, there was, it was packed. Um, and, and I know I've been to, we've all been to games when it was fairly sparsely attended. I mean, all of the concession stands were packed on the home side. So th- there was a large crowd on the home side. 
and it was really, really loud. And on that last series, it was extremely loud. Um, and and you could see Blackman, to your point, John, he walked up somebody between the guard and the center, which they hadn't done in the previous two plays. Blackman was looking at the receiver to try to get a hot route. Got to remember, this started fourth and five, right? We started four and fourth and five for them. And the two – uh, the, the the tackle and then the guard on the right side, I believe, both both jumped. And so now you go to fourth and 15, and Blackman's looking at a hot route on the outside because he sees the, the, the linebacker step up. He's thinking, okay, I'm going to hot over the middle. Meanwhile, the center sees him raise his leg, and he thinks he's ready for the ball, and he snaps. That's a, and I went back and watched the play again today. That's exactly what happened. So, John, that's really good Good on your part to notice that that linebacker comes up. And so now Blackman's thinking a hot drag route across the middle is what he's looking for to try to pick up the first down. But um, but overall, your, your point on the defense was right on, especially the third quarter. Guys, we, we should have – this game should have been over in the third quarter because we held them to no points. We ran the ball really well in the third quarter. In fact, the one drive where we had the two sacks at the end – uh, that kind of killed that drive. That was the drive where I thought we were going to break the game open right there. Um, and I'll add one more thing. That drive wore their defense down, and that's why we scored 23 points in the th- in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I definitely think that was a factor. And, you know, uh, one other note from the game, uh, I asked Coach Silverfield in the presser about, um, I don't know, some people I guess didn't notice, but he pulled Noah Grant from kickoff duties and put Tanner Gillis in. And I asked about, he said, you just can't have your kicker kicking it out of bounds. And I think Grant had done that twice in this game and two or three times in each in the previous two games. And and that just, that drives a coach crazy when you do little things like that. Um, Jeb's also got a good point. They had a, they had a lineman get injured late. So they had to bring somebody in kind of cold off the bench and, you know, and coach said this best. He said, I don't know if there were 132,000 or 32,000 people. They were loud. And I can tell you that it was in the press box. It was as loud with the exception of maybe the SMU game with game day a couple of years ago and uh, the AAC championship game. Although I was kind of down in the middle of that AAC title game. So I didn't really get to experience the crowd, but it was really loud. It sounded, I went back and watched, it sounded great on TV and you know, that's what home field advantage is all about, right, Brian? Is is having the crowd amped up and and will, kind of willing you through at the end of a game when you need that little boost. Yeah, and then I mean, not only does it, um, I mean, energize, uh, you know, the, the, the crowds, everyone's getting excited, but I mean, the players. <laughs> I mean, you you saw the players amped up, and that uh, intensifies their game. So you know, like we said, credit to the the. Memphis fans for for making it sound way more. What was the final offense? What was it? Thirty five something? No, thirty two three ninety six somewhere in that ballpark. There were yeah. well, I don't want to beat that ad nauseum as well. <laughs> I'm like Larry, but there were way more than thirty two thousand people there. Yeah, I mean the way it sounded, it sounded like forty five fifty thousand. So yeah, I mean just just a, a great and hopefully all those fans and then some you know come back again for for North Texas uh, you know this Saturday. Yeah, um, just real quick, I don't, I'm definitely not going to get into this, but the ticket issues, you know, uh, the, I, I posted the picture from gate four of the line being, oh gosh, that had to be a three or 400 people long line. And it was like five minutes before kickoff because the band was doing pregame when I took that picture. Um, 
but all the other lines, apparently everybody said moved pretty well and, and people got in. But again, this week, if you're bringing somebody new to the game, the digital ticketing process, I could not have been more pleased with how the parking process went. Um, you know, I showed the first person that I came up to, I showed him my pass. He said silver lot and told me where to go. And they didn't scan my pass until I got to the lot I was supposed to be in. And that was kind of everybody's concern is, you know, okay, they're going to scan your pass to get you in. And then it's just going to be wild, wild west out there. But they did a really good job of uh, traffic control. And, and other than that one gate, which didn't have, wasn't staffed very well, I've been told, um, they had some scanner issues at that gate, but you know, again, this is a problem for how many years and how many venues for Memphis, but you know, all in all thought it went well, but just be sure to download those tickets and save them to your Google wallet. Your, what do you, what do you crazy iPhone people call it? Is it the wallet? Do y'all call it a wallet as well? It's Google pay. Well, Google pay for us, but what about you crazy iPhone folks? It's wallet. It's Apple. Wallet. Yeah, it's, wallet. it's Apple. Okay. Yeah. Um, as somebody said, all us Android people are known as is the green bubble. And that's in reference to text message. So, but anyway. Cool, cool thing about that. So I have Apple Wallet, Apple Pay, whatever. And my wife has Google, uh, your green bubble thing. And so when I come up, I scan mine. No problem. I just held my phone up. Boom. She comes up and tries to do her. It doesn't work. And so she has to actually do the little barcode thing. And, um, and I was kidding her about that, that, you know, clearly that Apple is much improved over Samsung because all right, we're going to remove from stream right about now. Cause, uh, I feel, uh, what's that? I feel, uh, triggered here. I'm, I'm, uh, feel seen as the kids would say, but all in all, seriously, in all, all seriousness, good job, good effort by everybody to uh, get everybody in the stadium. Um, it was a little slow at times, but, uh, thought the you know thought the crowd was great and and you know every player that sat at that podium whether it was Tyler Murray or Seth Hennigan or coach Silverfield they all to a man said that the crowd is what kind of turned the tide of that game but let's get more into the game a little bit here for a few minutes uh Dave Barnett will be joining us at the bottom of the hour Dave is the voice of the mean green and he'll join us at the bottom of the hour here but you know Brian we talked about that running game real you know and coach Silverfield said this he said what we can't plan on happening is we can't plan on being able to just kind of flip a switch and have a running game but I thought Memphis although in the second quarter I think you we all texted each other like what is up there was a third and eight I think when we called a run but you know I think in some ways that pays dividends I thought also and I asked Seth about this you know he did a great job on Saturday of just pulling down and going you know, when when that's what the defense gave him. And I want to talk about one play in particular that that paid dividends. But, Brian, I mean, the running game, while it was somewhat inconsistent, they get the touch, the kind of the, the go-ahead touchdown from Ducker late on a great play. I'm going to break that play down in some more detail uh, in a separate video. But, uh, you know, just all in all, I thought the running game was better than probably it's been several times last year. I thought they just need consistency. Yeah, I mean, starting off uh, better would be great. But, I mean, because we, we were texting, and, I mean, I was <laughs> saying that, especially that first quarter, I'm like, man, this this offensive line, these running backs, they're, they're not getting off to a great start. I mean, you only had 29 yards in the first quarter. Uh, you know, and, and the coaches, you know, they talked about it after the game, and I think uh, Coach Cramsey talked about it in the uh, presser today after practice. You know, the, the third quarter, you know, they, they – they started defending the pass more. 
So there was less uh, folks in the box. So, you know, once Memphis saw that, you know, they took advantage of it. And that's why you saw Memphis have over, what was it, 123 yards, you know, in the third quarter of rushing. I mean, they had 187 in the entire game and 123 were in the third quarter. I thought, no, third quarter was 54. I'm sorry. 54 yards uh, through the third quarter was 123. But in the third quarter by itself, it was 54 yards. Uh, so, I mean, they, yeah, they, they took advantage of it. And, and I, you hear uh, Coach Cramsey talked out about a lot, talk about this a lot. You know, they want to, they want to take what the defense gives them. So if they're giving them pass, they're going to pass. If they're going to give them the run, they'll run. Um, you know, that's, to me, that's, that's, that's fine. But at some point, you know, I, I think you're going to have to have a game plan and, and just be dominant, you know, dominate you, you what you can do. Um, and so, and I guess Memphis is not there yet, but, uh, they, they have the horses that they have the, the horses to do it. I'm just, I'm still waiting to see. So, yeah, but at least they got some run, the running game going. Um, so that's definitely a positive. And, uh, you know, this weekend, I, I think you'll see Memphis, you know, really exploit the run because, uh, UNT is not that good. I believe stopping the run. Yeah, I, I posted that article earlier this week. I was stunned. They gave up uh, two 100-yard rushers last week to UNLV, and one of the guys had 229 yards on the ground, and he had coming in, he had 84 yards So through two games. So they struggle a little bit against the run. But, you know, looking back, and, and again, I'm going to break all this down in a separate video, but that Priest Corn, that first touchdown, was caused directly by Seth's last couple of games pulling the ball down and running because what happened was he did that little naked bootleg action. And when he sent Martin out on the wheel route, uh, Arkansas state did a great job covering that. But you can see in this video that literally five guys turn and get their hips towards Seth. And then priest corn just kind of sneaks out and gets the catch and the touchdown. And, And Larry, that, you know, that is something that we didn't see last year. And that is a way that Memphis's passing game gets even more dominant and more, you know, they, they'll get more out of it is by, you know, Seth being able to run the ball a little bit and keep guys honest. Well, and and to that point, later in the game, he actually pulls the ball and uh, and, and actually scores the touchdown on, on, the, on the, the boot. And so when you can do that, you put the defender in a really tough spot, especially – so one of the things about the goal line is – is everything gets compressed, right? Because you have, let's say you're on the three-yard line, where everything's now compressed into a 13-yard area. So if you, as the defender, have to defend the quarterback as a runner and as a passer, that makes that, that sort of opens up that that offense in a way that it doesn't normally. We see that all the time uh, in the pros, like Kyler Murray, for example, what he was able to do, um, and, the, and the pros, which was, gosh, those two plays were awesome. But that's what you're talking about, John. You're saying, okay, he's extending the play, making you um, defend two, th- two, two spots on the field, right? you got to defend the pass, and then you got to defend him running. And and you're right, the priest corn, he, he was able to sneak right behind those linebackers because they can't be in two places at one time, right? Yeah, and, and you know, the other thing about a quarterback being able to run is you have to make a decision as a coach at some point. You have to say, okay, well, we're just going to keep a linebacker to to spy. 
because we can't let him, you know, get outside. And that what that does, especially on the goal line, is now when you spread and you spread and you go four wide, you and you've got to keep a linebacker, that opens the middle of the field. So that's why it's I, I tell people all the time it's the little things that happen earlier in the game that pay big dividends. My wife and I have this conversation all the time. It's like, why do we keep running up the middle? Because that's going to pay off, because that's how you hit play action. That's how you hit a little uh we ran a little um didn't we run a little like zone option play with Seth pitching out to uh, one of the backs there in the it third was, quarter? It, it was a read zone, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting. That's something we hadn't seen. We we saw two or three plays like that. I you know I was really impressed with Priestcorn, man. You know, coaches Brian, you know this. Coaches talked about him all off season. First couple games were like, mm, yeah, I mean he's doing fine, but man, he had and on Ducker's run at the end of the game. Hell of a block. Oh, he knocked that guy's lights out, Brian. And I, I just thought that Priest Corn was kind of the difference in this game for a lot of reasons. Yeah, and, and Memphis has had – I mean, I think Memphis is known for as, what, kicker you, the you know, running back you. And, I mean, pretty quickly they're, they're going to be known as uh, tight end you because, I mean, it started with what, uh, Joey uh, Magnifico. Then you had, you know, Sean Dykes and now Priest Corn. I, I think Priest Corn, he, he's – He's not there yet, but he can develop into, you know, a complete tight end. I think he needs to work uh, on blocking a little bit more, but uh, route running, pass catching, I think he's already there. And it's going to be exciting watching him this year. Yeah, and it's tough. You know, Larry's point, talking about defending that. Now when you have priest corn, you have your tight end who can go out, can stand up in the slot, can go out and catch the ball. He can block. He can pick. He can chip a linebacker. Now that takes another weapon in the arsenal. So now as a defense, when you, when you're down there and you see priest corn in the game, what do you do? Because now Seth can run a little bit. You've got priest corn who can leak out and, and make catches. He's, he's not, although he did in this game, he's not a big post route guy. That's going to burn anybody down the field. Although he caught a nice skinny post for a touchdown, but it's just all about developing different weapons because that makes it real. That makes Memphis really, really hard to defend. I think one of the things that I would add to all this is that um, we have some guys out of the backfield, including Ducker and Martin, who can catch the ball. So if you look at the passing game, every, we went into the season with our, our wide receivers sort of being a question mark. I think in game three, guys, I think we can we can say that, okay, we've got a fairly established three-man wide receiver unit. At this point, Rogers, Skates, and um, Ivory, right? I mean, and, and Rock Taylor had a great catch too in this game. But, but to me, that's those are your three main. And then you've got Priest Corn as as your 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 tight end, and then you've got your backs out of the backfield. I, I'm trying to think. I mean, certainly we may have had more talent, and one person may have more talent. But that is a whole lot of really, really good talent coming out. And that's one of the reasons why we've had so much success throwing the football. And that's why they had to add – they had to bring another safety in, which opened up the running game in the second half for us. And if that happens to North – if we if we're able to do that to North Texas, I, 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 I'll i save my prediction for later, but I think that's going to be – that's going to open up 
a lot of running because you really saw that in the fourth quarter. Arkansas State's defense was gassed, and they and they were done by the end. You know that last drive, they, they couldn't have stopped us no matter what. I'm just telling. We could you, have been on our going. own six, and they wouldn't have stopped us. Much right. less theirs. It would have been possible, right? Jeb, I knew he would chime in because I knew I would forget someone. Alan Cross. Cross. Yeah, how, you, how could you forget him uh, after all the talk about BYU earlier this week? Here's something about the Memphis offense that I don't know if you, if anyone realized, because I didn't realize it until just now looking at the stats. Memphis did not go three and out. They only went one three and out last game. Uh, so, I mean, it shows you the progression and how much they're, they're understanding that the game plan and, you know, just getting closer to a complete game. Two things make life easy on a defense. Number one, it's pressure up front. That That's first and foremost. And number two is your offense staying on the field. Those are two things that are going to help your defense more than any kind of scheme or, or anything like that. But just being able to get some pressure, which we did not do a great job of again, and being able to – your offense staying on the field so your defense, if they are a liability, which I'm not saying this defense is uh, – then you can kind of cover that up by, you know, not putting them out there for 48 minutes like we did in the first game. I think it was four. I'm sorry, 43 minutes in the first game. You know, you just you just can't do that and expect long term success. Uh, but you know, other than one kind of busted play there, and and again, I'll talk about this one later. But uh, on the first Arkansas State touchdown, other than that, I thought the defense you know did a did an okay job because look, Blackman's a good quarterback. They've got some good players. They shut Champ Fleming's down. That was the guy I was most worried about coming into the game, and I'm not looking at the numbers, but I don't think he had more than two or three catches for six or seven yards. The kid's a five-six kid, and he's an absolute burner. Um, but I, I just thought Memphis did a really nice job on him, and and for the most part, they had some tackling issues that they do have to clean up. Um, a lot of arm reaching because you're out of position. But, you know, all in all, you know, teams are going to make plays. The other team have FBS quality Division One scholarship players too. And, you know, it's about doing enough to get off the field. And, uh, again, Brian, you may have the stats in front of you. I don't. Memphis it three, did. It was three receptions for seven yards for champ. Yeah, three receptions. And then I thought Memphis did a fairly good job on third down after the first series or two. I think uh, Arkansas State was five of six on their first three series on third down, and I think Memphis kind of figured out what they were doing and kind of put the clamp kibosh on that uh, going forward. They, I think they had a couple of three and outs. The other thing I want to add that I thought the Memphis defense did awesome this week, they kept Blackman in the box. They didn't let him escape. They didn't let him run. I didn't see him get out. I mean, he, he was he, – he stuck. Now, I don't think we sacked him a whole lot. But he didn't get out and run, and and I thought, especially on third downs, we we chased him, we flushed him, and we made him either either throw it away or um, he threw an incompletion. And you saw that consistently, especially in the third and fourth quarters, he could not get away. Yeah, in the first half, uh, Arkansas State was five of seven on third down. Second half, only two of seven. Yeah, we we just we just did a we did such a good job. Uh, on that, and I also Jeb kind of kind of segued me here. I was just about to mention, you know, there are two things that you never want people on podcast or TV shows to talk about: the offensive line and the kicker, because you usually the only time you talk about those two people are when they do something bad. But Idiots. Chris Chris Howard is just that dude is just lights out, man. He is just ice in his veins. 
he does not care. You know, he he said that before. Look, there's I've played in the SEC before. There is no there is no pressure that I can that I see that I haven't seen before. And you know, other than some kickoff issues, we had issues where we didn't get it in the end zone. But you know, we we you know we I actually asked Coach Silverfield about that. I said, you know, how does that change the game? And he's like, it's everything. He said, when I know I have somebody to rely on, I can choose to be aggressive. And I thought that was interesting. That you know, last year he kind of felt, I think that he didn't have a choice. He had to be aggressive because the kicking game was so bad. But now that so so far we have somebody we can rely on, I think that takes some pressure off of the play callers, be it Cramsey or or Ryan Silverfield or whatever. You you can take some of the pressure off and then choose, pick your spots to be aggressive. I think more than anything, if you watch the way the game played out, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, the, the only time that game – and by the way, did anybody hear – I mean, I know we had the fourth down with like four minutes to go when we were down by one. But even then, I, I never really felt like we were going to lose this game. I never had a feeling like that. Um, and, and, and I, I just wanted to mention that. But, but as you saw the game play out, he had the long – relatively long field goal. I think it was a 40-something yarder um, that put us up by six. And and so you could sort of say, and that was following that third down run that you talked about, John, the third and and six or seven when we, and then he, I I, I do believe right there he for whatever reason they decided they wanted to play it safe for whatever reason and and decided well if we don't don't get it we'll we'll kick the field goal I do believe that. Well, I'm just going to say that at the end between the end of the first half. And the end of the game, y'all, we got the full Butch Jones clock management experience on Saturday. Um, man, he may your be turn bro- was brick by brick, <laughs> brick by brick, champions of life, whatever silly thing he he's always said. But man, you know, Memphis just—I I don't know what, he, especially at the end of the half. And we're going to take a break and get Dave on here in a second. Talk North Texas. You have three time or two timeouts. Sorry, because they had to burn one early in the first quarter. You have two timeouts. You're at about the 40. You've got two timeouts, and you've got a – It was two minutes. He had yeah, two that's minutes right. It was two minutes. And they ran three plays. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say – I'm not going to say what – I'm not going to post what Jeff just said or Jeb just said, but he's 100% right. We're going to step aside for just a minute. When we come back, the one and only Dave Barnett will join us as we get set to talk all things North Texas. You're listening and watching Tigers Tonight. We'll be back in just a moment. Looking to get away from it all? Hey, it's John here with Tropical Getaways Travel. And when I'm not following the Tigers, I help families and groups have their next amazing vacation. Maybe you're looking for a cruise, or maybe it's an all-inclusive resort that you've been dreaming of. Either way, I can help you plan a vacation that fits your budget and your lifestyle. When you're ready to start planning that vacation, give me a call at 901-667-8747. That's 901-667-8747. Or you can visit my website at tropicalgetaways.net. Let's start planning your next amazing vacation. And welcome back in, everybody, to Tigers Tonight. John Maddox, Larry Marley, Brian Moss. We have the privilege now of being joined by the voice of the mean green of North Texas. Uh, you've probably seen his work on ESPN as well, the one only Dave Barnett. Dave, how are you, sir? I'm good. I, I've never been described as a privilege to talk to, so that's <laughs> great. <laughs> 
So, Dave, let's get started here. Uh, a rough Saturday afternoon and evening for North Texas out in the desert in UNLV. Uh, gave up a lot of rushing yards. Um, Seth Luttrell did not get off to a good start last year. It's not going great this year. What's kind of the general mood around the program right now? Um, well, disappointment, obviously, from um, turning a really close game at halftime at UNLV into a, a blowout loss. Um you know, the things that didn't go well, uh, particularly third down and fourth down, were things that went really well for this team last year. Uh, last year's team started out as a typical Seth Luttrell air raid offense. You know, he came from the Hal Mummy, uh, Mike Leach School of Offense. And um, there were so many injuries to receiver. Out of 16 potential receivers, at one point they were down to six last year. And so... Basically, by necessity, they completely changed the team's personality at midseason, which is something you rarely see work and much less work well. And it worked incredibly well. They swept the table. As soon as they decided we're a power running team, that's what the strength of this group is up front, the offensive line, a lot of experience. And uh, four pretty interchangeable running backs who are all back this year. They lost DeAndre Torrey. Um, uh, and he ran for 1,200 yards last year, but this group will easily, as a group, surpass that and more. Um, and so, you know, they were just able to steamroll opponents last year up until their bowl game. This year started out as it looked like potentially the best of both. Uh, they opened at UTEP, which had sold out the Sun Bowl. That hadn't happened since Texas played there in 2008. And uh, really dominated the second half, went going away. And it was the best balance that had shown in a long time between passing and running. So that was the momentum they came into uh, a game at home against SMU. And SMU um, just, you know, turned it into a track meet and it was never really competitive. So they bounced back from that and had an FCS opponent in Texas Southern won that easily. And again, uh, that led to expectations that it would be uh, – at least a competitive four quarters at UNLV and the first two quarters, very competitive. Uh, the second half UNLV started using their quarterback, Doug Brumfield as a running threat and uh, 12 carries and hundred yards. Their top running back, Aiden Robbins over 200 yards. So they never really dealt with them. And what really turned the game was uh, unsuccessful third and fourth down opportunities. Um, so that's what everybody will be looking at this week is um, trying to play four quarters against another, you know, outstanding quarterback that everybody here is very familiar with. Wasn't that long since Seth Tennigan had then Ryan in the state championships uh, and just to cut down on their own errors. Uh, some of them, Seth and Miss were coaching errors, not having right package in on some of the fourth downs. Some of it were just player errors and they're not a good enough team to overcome that against, uh, equal or better competition. So I think that's that's really what everybody's going to be looking at this week, how clean will the execution be, because this is an opponent where you just can't overcome too many mistakes. You had uh, Grant Gannell transfer from Memphis to North Texas. I was interested, how's that quarterback battle uh, going, you know, in the in the fall? Austin obviously won, but uh, what have you seen from uh, Grant so far this year? Well, I mean, he's only been in very briefly uh, at the end of one blowout loss against SMU and, you know, basically just in there handing the ball off. And then um, 
played quite a bit more in the second half of a blowout win against Texas Southern. And you could see in that game, um, you know, why Arizona wanted him and started him um, and why Memphis wanted him as a transfer and why Seth wanted him down here. Uh, 6'6 at quarterback is uh, not a usual look. Seth said the only quarterbacks he's ever coached who were anywhere near that big both went on to have good long careers, Nick Foles being one of them uh, at Arizona. Uh, but in terms of him running the offense in a key situation where the game is is still up for grabs, haven't seen that yet. Um, in August, you could again see you know the physical skills that are there. Um, but what happened really is Austin Ani just really improved over the offseason. And uh, he has not given – Grant, any openings at this point to even think about uh, a quarterback change? Austin is up near the top nationally in touchdown passes, uh, way up near the top in yards per completion. They're throwing it downfield, about 16 yards per completion. Big change from last year. Um, And I just asked Seth, in fact, this evening, is there a point where he hopes to get Grant in just maybe to take advantage of his knowledge of the Memphis defensive system? And he just batted that right away. He says, no, that's not how it works. You know, um, as long as we've got a quarterback playing well and is healthy, then, you know, he's going to get the snaps. So if if Grant gets in, I'm sure he would love to. He would love to show the Memphis fans, you know, what they were missing by uh, him sitting last year. I don't know if that will happen. Um, but, I, you know, I'm sure he's hoping, even as we speak, that he gets a chance to go out there. Well, speaking of Austin Ani, um, and 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 the fact that, and I'm really excited because I'm actually going to see a quarterback who's almost my age uh, <laughs> playing. <laughs> so I'm I'm really excited about that. No, 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 I'm kidding aside. Uh, he's only 29, um, but that isn't that for, for college. That's extremely old. How does? And by the way, we haven't seen this since whatever that movie with Scott Bakula was a long time ago. Um, oh, necessary. But, yeah, necessary. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but, but seriously, um, how does a 29 year old, I mean, I, I was, I played college football, so I know if we had a 29 year old dude in the locker room, it would have been odd for us. <laughs> how does that, how does he fit in that locker room? Really well. Um, you know, he is believed to be the oldest starting quarterback in division one football history. As far as we're able to track that down at, at age 29. Uh, that being said, you know, first of all, he rolls with all the obvious uh, slings and arrows about grandpa and old man and all that. And, you know, just has fun with it. And his teammates know why he came back to football. Cause he, you know, it was a second round draft pick by the Yankees. Got a nice big check that he's still living off of. Because uh, he's married and has a little baby daughter now. Um, you know, so that's widely known that uh, his athleticism was such that, you know, he was that high a draft pick by the Yankees. Uh, and the Aaron Judge class. Um, and then it's, it's um, I think, just a matter of his personality. He's got the type of personality where when leadership is needed, he's there to provide it. But he's not going to lord it over anybody and you know, um, give it right back to someone who's 18, you know. Um, so, you know, the, the only time it comes up his age is all in a positive context. 
you know, that he, he takes the kidding, gives it right back. And uh, he lends maturity to the locker room, obviously, that nobody else can provide. Yeah, the only guy I could think of that was even close, but I think he was like 26, and that was Chris Winkie that played at Florida State. And then I swear Daryl Hackney was at UAB for 47 years. But Well, Brandon <laughs> You know, Brandon, yeah, Brandon Whedon, yeah. All that went to Oklahoma State and then made it, you know, to the NFL. So it's not unheard of. It's just the fact that Austin didn't come back just for a year or right. two, yeah. uh, you know. And I think <laughs> it's hard to tell these days, but I think he would even have eligibility next season if he chose to play. I can't imagine that he will. Uh, but I think if he if he wanted to, he could probably pursue it. But I think. You know, back to Grant Gunnell, uh, this is expected to be his team beginning next year, if not at any point this year. So let's move to the other side of the ball again. This team that really struggled against the run last week, uh, struggled with the running quarterback, Brumfeld. Uh, what type of defense can Memphis expect to see on Saturday? Um, well, I'm excited to see that too, because this has not been the defense that uh, Phil Bennett put together last year to go back farther than that. Two years ago, this was among the worst defenses in FBS football. Uh, could not really stop anybody. Uh, played Appalachian State in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, and there were three consecutive carries in that game that all went 60 to 70 yards. Just couldn't stop anybody. So Phil Bennett takes over the defense, and he is um, – as experienced a defensive coach as there is in college football and, you know, just made some, I think, um, simple but difficult demands on um, players that maybe they hadn't uh, had placed on them before. And the results were they were the most improved defense in the country statistically. And they had a lot of ways to improve, but they, uh, they cut points allowed by two touchdowns a game. They cut yards allowed. I mean, almost in half. And we've not seen that same um, improvement carry over so far this year. Uh, not forcing turnovers. They've recovered a couple of fumbles. They have yet to intercept the pass. In fact, you have to go back to the middle of last season to find the last interception by a defensive back. Uh, the linebackers got a couple late last year. So that's number one. Um, they're giving up too many long drives, not getting off the field on third down and occasionally on fourth down. Uh, and so, you know, that now is putting a lot of pressure on the offense. The offense gets out there and plays tempo, but comes up with a three and out. The defense is right back on the field. That hasn't been going well. And I, I'm sure that's what Memphis will try to do is just, you know, grind out long drives because uh, this defense so far is bending and occasionally breaking at points where they really weren't last year. It's mostly the same people back. Um you know, so everybody's it's kind of scratching their heads. You know, these are mistakes that weren't happening last year, and it's basically the same cast of characters. So I'll, I'll get straight to the point. Um, Seth Littrell was one quarter away, most likely, from being fired last year. I think you would agree with that, or, or at least it, it was trending in that direction. Um, uh, I, and he ended up surviving. Um, how hot is the seat for Seth this year? Well, um, it's the same as any coach, you know, who, um, 
is trying to get back in the win column. His second and third year, nine wins apiece, uh, won a division right off the bat as soon as he took the job, and they haven't been able to follow up on that. Um, and no one feels that more than Seth, and he's very open about it. You know, as most coaches will tell you, they put more pressure on themselves than any fan or group of fans ever could. Um, I think what's working in his favor at this point is how he turned things around last year, you know, once conference play started. And this is the last non-conference game this year. So, you know, even if this goes as badly as UNLV did last week, uh, I think it's it's set up for a complete reset and if they do as well in Conference USA this year, then, you know, I think he's fine. Um, but he definitely, you know, he's one of the younger head coaches of the country, but he knows how this business works. And uh, to have another below 500 season, um, you know, without a division championship at least and without winning a bowl, they get to a bowl almost every year, have yet to win a bowl. So those are the goals that are going to determine Seth's future. I want to ask about our good friend who used to be at Memphis, Ren Baker. Uh, yeah, I think he's been there six years now. Uh, what has he meant to North Texas, and what improvements have you seen out of the university under his leadership? Uh, well, a lot. I think the hiring of Ren was the president, um, President Smotris, saying, okay, well, we want to elevate athletics to a higher level than it has been at uh, traditionally here kind of turn it from a mom and pop outfit a little bit to um, the way that the bigger programs are run, for instance, making a, a radio deal with Learfield as opposed to cutting their own deal um, with certain stations and certain sponsors, um, you know, Learfield's bringing in more money. That's number one. Uh, he got fundraising for one of the best indoor practice facilities in the country, but opened uh, now three years ago. Now, uh, you know, his push is to expand the athletic center, more offices for, um, uh, you know, more coaches for academic counselors, people like that, expand the weight room. Uh, what everybody wants to know is, are you ever going to add baseball? Um, because almost every school uh, in Conference USA and in the AAC, you know, they play baseball as well. And North Texas got rid of it years ago. Uh, but what he always says is my emphasis is on maximizing what our current coaches for our current programs need. And so when he got here, that was uh, modernize the super pit and, you know, more offices because there are now more basketball coaches and assistant coaches than there were when that place opened 50 years ago. So things like that. Um, some enhancements to Apogee Stadium. Uh, he got a long-awaited stadium finally built for soccer and track and field. Track and field had had no home meets for years. Um, and now they've got a, a really nice facility. So uh, I think that's been it. It's been a matter of bringing the overall program and the expectations of athletics up to the level where they really should be for a university like this. I mean, there's 45,000 students, freshmen enrollment up 19% this year. Uh, in this dynamic area, Dallas-Fort Worth. And so, you know, it's a matter of just taking advantage of uh, the resources and, and the people uh, who are banding together and 
you know, Ren is, is uh, bringing him into the program and figuring out ways for them to contribute. So, and then he's hired some really excellent coaches. He got Grant McCaslin three straight years. They won in conference USA. Uh, you got Rodney DeLong for softball, softball to Oklahoma state, right to the up uh, end of uh, the regional uh, this past year, won the conference USA tournament. Uh, so really, it's that. I think at this point, he would tell you he really is hoping to get football going and have a big, um, huge, successful season for football. We'll see what that does uh, to the overall enthusiasm about sports. It's funny because, you know, a lot of people I don't think realize how many ties the two programs have. You know, Johnny Jones was our basketball coach in a rough situation. He ends up at North Texas. Uh Gosh, uh, Seth, you mentioned that earlier. Seth played at Denton Ryan, and now he's quarterback at Memphis. And, you know, Grant Gannell transfers from Memphis to North Texas. Coach Dickey. Yeah, Daryl, I was I was trying to think. Daryl Dickey's the coach yep. there. But next year, that kind of even comes more to the forefront. This is the last question before we let you go. Uh, North Texas making the move, and they're they're going to step up in competition with, comp, with, the, with the AAC. So what is kind of the, you know, I think Ren's probably done a real good job of that, like, it's it's a big preparation. Like Memphis, we got when that happened for us, we kind of got thrown in the fire. Uh, Justin kind of got thrown to the wolves there a little bit. But um, so, what does that mean in terms of North Texas uh, stepping up their game from a, I guess, what a budgetary standpoint to know that they're going to have to compete with some bigger schools? Well, I mean, that's it, and that's what Ren uh, is trying to drive home. That you know, this is great. We're moving up. This is a league we shouldn't compete very well in across the board uh but that doesn't come free and so you know it's a matter of making your fan base aware that you know the schools that really do well across the board in sports um it costs money um and he's been he's been you know very successful every uh fundraising goal he has set so far he has reached uh and you know hopefully Somewhere down the line, there'll be enough money there to start baseball back up again. But uh, that's very well known. I think, um, you know, for people as old as me, what's going to be enjoyable is being back in the conference with the schools that North Texas competed with in the Missouri Valley Conference when I was a kid, like Memphis and uh, Wichita State. And, you know, Cincinnati was one, but they're moving. Uh, so it's it's a move that the fans are very much looking forward to. Um, I think in most sports, basketball included, uh, I, I don't think it's going to be a huge leap in terms of competition. Uh, and again, we come down to, you know, how is this football season going to turn out? If, if they play up to their capability and, you know, end up with a winning season, win a bowl game, then I think that's the momentum that they need to step up in competition next year. Dave, before we let you go, what do you, how do you think Saturday goes at the Liberty Bowl? Uh, I think North Texas plays better defensively just because I don't think Seth Hennigan's likely to rush for 100 yards. I mean, he's probably capable. Uh, so I, I think it'll be a little more um, of a you know traditional challenge. Here's a guy that's thrown it all over the yard and nobody stopped him yet. So... You know, can the defense get some pressure on him? There haven't been a lot of sacks last year. Sacks were not a problem. Can they force turnovers? This defense is uh, just crying out for uh, one interception. It would be nice. 
Uh, and then offensively, I think long drives, if they can grind it out with the running game, although the Memphis run defense has been really good so far, I think it's that. Uh, you know, get things set up where um, Austin Audi can throw over the top, maybe get some some big gains. Uh, I think all that needs to go well for North Texas. I, I'll be surprised if they struggle with the same things they struggled with last week. So, Dave, tell, our, tell Memphis fans how they can follow you this week leading up to the game. Well, uh, our broadcasts, like all your field broadcasts, are on the Varsity Network app. Um, so you can download that, the App Store, and then uh, just go to North Texas Football. Um, I don't tweet all that much. If you want to be a follower, it's Dave underscore L underscore Barnett. Dave, thanks for joining us this evening. We really appreciate it, and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Enjoyed it. Great thanks talk. a lot. Thanks, Dave. So that's Dave Barnett from North Texas, and um, he said all the things I think we expected to hear, you know, about how the defense is going to play better and and Austin Oni is going to, you know, hopefully get the ball down the field. But, Larry, North Texas is in for a monumental challenge on Saturday. Uh, and I don't mean any disparaging remarks about the fine folks in Las Vegas, but Memphis ain't no UNLV. No, and and let me let me be very clear. They're coming up to to face one of the the best passing offenses in the country, certainly in the G five. And I don't think there's any question about that. Um, no, as he put it, nobody stopped our passing offense. And um, I, I think they're in for, as you put it, a, a really big challenge. I, I have a a a prediction. I made this prediction earlier this year, and I was wrong. But I'm going to make this prediction right now. We have a 100-yard rusher this week. <laughs> you okay, John? You going to be okay? Wow, I'm a, I'm a little stunned. Uh, Brian, on to you. What was the question? I, I, that, that threw me off. <laughs> Larry got both of us here. Just just kind of your general thoughts on the game, and then we'll, we'll do predictions here in just a second. Yeah, no, I think it, it's going to be, a, in my opinion, a higher-scoring game because I think there's some things North Texas can do uh, especially with Austin Ani, I think he can pick apart Memphis if they're not uh, if they're not playing up to par, you know, uh, defensively. Uh, so I, I think uh, Greg Rubin, uh, yeah, Quindell Johnson has really got to be on their toes because uh, Austin, to me, Austin Ani is the type of quarterback that can pick them apart. So I think it's going to be a fun and exciting game, and I think it's going to be you know higher scoring. Um, I can't remember what the uh, I know it's a you know, Memphis is 11 point favorite, but I don't know what the over under is for the, it was 65 and a half. I think it may go over. I don't know. I, I think, I, I think I would go over, get out the sledgehammer, baby, and hammer that over. <laughs> so yes. Uh, and that is for informational purposes only. We here at tigers tonight and tiger sports report do not, uh, do not judge nor condone betting on, uh, any athletic endeavors, but it's yes. legal. Yeah. All right, moving on. It's 11. The line is uh, North Texas plus 11 and a half and the over, I think, I think it was 65 and a half when I looked earlier today, but, but along those lines, and this is totally off subject. Did you guys see the Rutgers, Iowa over under 34 and a half. Yeah. Take the under <laughs> as a Rutgers guy, take the under. I'm just thinking, these two teams could play two straight weeks and not hit the over. Now, Dude, watch. When, you, when you watch when you watch Rutgers games, Brian. I mean, just just out of curiosity, 
Do you do you like have an eye a coffee IV? I mean, is, how do you stay awake for that? I mean, it's like it's like literally watching grass grow. I mean, it, it, if it, as much as they move up and down the field, does one side of the field the grass grow higher? When they, I mean, because they never go to the other side. We're not going to continue to. We're not going to continue got, to slander the State University of New Jersey. Yeah, uh, oh, Yeah. So, um, one other thing before we go here. Oh, actually, let's do predictions first. Uh, let's see, two thirty. Hey, three hours and thirteen minutes last week, boys and girls. John Maddox will take that all day long and twice on Sunday, um, as long as the games don't get till Sunday. So let's see, two thirty. Actually, two thirty-seven. Care two thirty-three kickoff. Uh, three and a half hours. Uh, 6.05 p.m. What do you think? 6.05 p.m. The scoreboard will say. I've got it 51-35 Memphis. I, I, I think Brian's right. I think this is a high-scoring game. Uh, Memphis is going to put a lot of points on the board. I know that uh, – and, and and I'll be honest with you. I think Cramsey is hitting his stride as a play caller. Um, he really seems to – understand this team the only question i have is defensively if we get more stops this game may get away and then we we, we may not get to that point but if, if they if they keep scoring yeah i think i think we hit the the, the the half century mark this weekend for me um i'm gonna go memphis 45 north texas 28 uh and yeah, it's a safe bet you know, Memphis gets a 100-yard uh, rusher. But let's say a bold prediction. Uh, we could do that every week, too. Uh, a bold prediction for me, I'm going to say there's going to be a defensive touchdown, whether it be a, a interception return for a touchdown, a fumble return. I think there's going to be a defensive touchdown for Memphis. All right, Larry. So you, you have the 100-yard rusher. B's got the defensive touchdown. Oh, let's see. What could I what could I predict? Because last week I predicted that Gabe Rogers would score a touchdown. That did not go well. Um we we get a safety. Let's just go with that. Because here here and I know everybody's like, well, how can you because here's what I'm thinking. You know, you've got a punter that can place the ball, and North Texas has struggled at times on offense. Uh so if you get field position right, because we almost got a safety this week because one more kick and that ball's in the end zone and probably out of the back of the end zone on that last play. So I'm going to say that we get a safety this week. Cause I, you know, but as far as predictions, I think this is the one that Memphis just kind of blows the wheels off. I, I think probably 42 10 somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and I think it's going to be a case where we just literally and figuratively, we just blitz them early and get out to a big lead and get uh, the backups some time. Um, Grant Gunnell will play. That, that'll that be my other prediction, that he will play in this game. Um, and, boy, would nothing be sweeter than for the pick six to be on a ball he throws. How, how much irony would be built in there? So before we go, Brian, what have we got over at TSR this week? Well, we will have the – one thing I think uh, fans are liking is uh, every Friday I do a flashback Friday – where we'll take a look at the starters from Memphis and the starters for their opponent, what their high school ranking was coming out of high school. So I'll have that again this Friday. 
and I'll have later this week, I'll have the uh, three big plays from the previous week. And I did earlier this week, I did a by the numbers uh, kind of a statistical look at both teams, how they stack up. I can start to do that now because we've got, you know, two or three games in the system and, you know, the numbers will kind of start to even out. Um, quick programming note, the next course, we've got Saturday at 2.30, the next game, uh, Saturday, October 1st against Temple, just as I predicted, will be an 11 a.m. start on ESPNU. Um, and then after that, we have a Friday night game. So we won't have to worry about game times for a few weeks here going forward, actually at East Carolina the next week. So big week for Memphis to kind of stay in, stay in command and control of this game because uh, you've got this little stretch right here of three very winnable games. Although the Houston game looks super winnable now at this point, they have not played very well and got roughhoused by Kansas on Saturday. Missed fights on the sidelines. Yeah, I saw it. have to do a better team. That's right. Uh, the flagship is cooging it, as we like to say. Before we go, I'm not going to get on too long of a tangent of this, but I shared an article on Twitter today uh, where, and, and I, and I'm sure what everybody will tell is, oh, you took it out of context, or that's not what he meant. But in this article, Mike, Mike Oresco and Larry's rolling his eyes already. Mike Oresco said, we need schools like Memphis and USF to step up. And, and let me not disparage the fine folks in uh, that directionally challenged school in Tampa, Florida. Let me, I think I just did disparage them. Um, for those who don't know, South Florida, University of South Florida is in Tampa, which is as much. Which is north of Central Florida. But anyway, yeah. we're not going gonna... <laughs> to go into all that. But, but my question to uh, Commissioner Resco is simply this. What, what more could you expect from what everybody's calling the remnant, which is kind of disrespectful in and of itself? But to say that about Memphis, who has more wins since 2014 than any other AAC school, including Leak Darling Central Florida, uh, we also have the highest non-G5 winning percent percentage than any other school that's played at least 20 games in the G5. Now, granted, it's like, I think, 38% I saw today, but it's better than everybody else. Memphis has been to an NCAA tournament. Memphis has won the NIT. I, guys, I, 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 I don't know what else, what, what could have been meant by that other than, hey, you need to step up and pick up and move your crap to Florida or move your crap to Texas and be a school there. Cause I, I just don't understand why you would say that. And also snuck in that article that I thought was very, very interesting. Uh, ESPN extended our deal and it somehow, I, I guess I didn't hear about it or, you know, I've had, I've had life in the way, but extended the deal and quote, kept us whole, which means the same money, but it's actually a delusion because you're going to add three more teams than the teams that are leaving. So is, is he saying that we're going to make the same money or we're going to cover the extra money and everybody's still going to get the six mil? Because that, that just kind of didn't make sense to me. And in our media-driven world, I'm shocked that I hadn't heard that until today. But I, I don't know what that means. Um, hey, if, if we're whole, good news. I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't say anything about the TV deal, but... Man, that just – and I guess, again, it's because I had a bad day. But, man, that whole Memphis and USF need to step up. Just – it's stuck in my craw a little bit because, you, you know, 
of all the schools that he could have mentioned, Memphis has stepped up more and have taken more bullets for this conference, like the whole Hawaii fiasco last year. We weren't supposed to go to Hawaii. That was supposed to be, I think, Tulsa's spot. And we kind of st- stood up and took one for the team, as we've done three or four other times. And it just it really struck me the wrong way to hear a commissioner say something like that. I'll add one one quick thing to this, and I didn't see the article till you mentioned it to me. But I'm going to add this about the AAC and the fact that if you look at the way the conference is going to be reconfigured right now, um, with Houston and Cincinnati leaving, um, along with UCF, I, it, nobody is going to to be the standard bearer any more than Memphis. Right now, not I mean, not just from a, a basketball, but but football as well. I mean, there there's nobody. You you look around. Yes, USF. They need to. You know, they, they need. They're on a down stretch right now. And no excuse for them out. not to be competitive in every sport. Just no right. excuse they, whatsoever. They, they, they need to step up. But but and, and I'm not going to dispute that. But where did Memphis come from out of this? I mean. What, why not? Why not say, throw something at Tulsa? Throw something at at at. I mean, you know, pick pick somebody else. What the hell else can we do? Seriously, guys. What well, else can but we I, do? I think his point, Brian. I think his point was probably Memphis and USF, and and I haven't looked at the numbers, and I'm sure somebody will tell me I'm wrong. Are probably the two biggest markets that'll be left after Houston leaves and Cincinnati or or Cincinnati, Houston, well, SMU, I guess, would be the biggest market. But, hell, if you want to pick on somebody, SMU. Yeah. The only thing I can think of that uh, trying to play devil's advocate, which, I mean, I still don't agree with (laughs) what he said, but trying to get into his wacky brain is maybe he sees Memphis is not as good as it was a couple years ago. While that may be true, they're still a heck of a lot better than 80, 90% of the teams in the American conference. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, if you're going to say for someone that needs to step up one, I mean, look who you're bringing in. If you want to talk about someone that needs to step up, you pick Charlotte. <laughs> I mean, you could have had, I, I know it, Charlotte brings in the quote unquote, you know, Charlotte TV market. Nobody cares that. No one cares about that. Charlotte, in, in, in I, Charlotte I you, literally nobody cares about that. It's Clemson, and then then maybe occasionally you'll hear something about uh, North Carolina and South Carolina and all that. But I bet nobody. you 90% of the people in Charlotte have no clue that the Charlotte or the 49ers. <laughs> you know? um, so I, to me, I, I think you, you could have had Appy State, which, I mean, they come in and, and they're instant – you know, conference contenders right away. Uh, you could have had the sexy name of, um, you know, uh, Coastal Carolina. You know, they, they, they yeah, eh, I understand that. But to me, it's a better name than Charlotte. You know, they, the, the, to me, they're just, you could have went in different places than, than the teams that you're bringing in. So, uh, I mean, I think he needs to look into a mirror and say, you yeah. need to step up. You know, yeah, because I mean, look, 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 that's I keep going back to that. Look Florida Atlantic, Florida Atlantic, yeah. Been, I mean, come I mean, on, I, you know? I understand you, you want to keep a floor, you, you want an, at least two Florida teams because they're recruiting and, and things like that. They, 
there's not a lot of teams in Florida that you could have grabbed. I, 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 I kind of understand that one, but, but to me, the, the, the Appy state one, that's, that's one that really bothers me. Cause I, I really think you could have had, you know, someone that come in and, and really, I mean, cause look what they did. They, who they knock off? Uh, Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Man, they're going to knock off someone again. Should be next. North Carolina. They're, they're going to they're going to continue to knock off teams, and that could have been a a feather in the cap for the AAC. But now, nope, it's a feather in the cap to the fun belt. Super jealous that we don't get that road trip to Boone every two years too. An absolutely just incredibly gorgeous place. Amazing, especially in the fall. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I had a bad day today, and it just really kind of stuck in my craw and rubbed me the wrong way. And then there was another little comment in there about. Uh, you know, he's cause somebody asked him about, you know, Houston's leaving and blah, blah, blah. And, and did, you know, did he root for Houston? Yada, yada. And he's like, yeah, of course, because it hurts the conference if they lose. I'm thinking, that gives a part of my friends, that gives a shit about Houston. And, and why is the commissioner rooting for someone? Like that just, again, and I'm, I totally misread that probably, but it just, it just kind of got after me a little bit. It's like, you know, the only thing, Ron, and I think you make a good point with that. The only thing I think he was trying to say is we need Memphis and South Florida because they're our strongest brands. We need them to be better. But he could have said it that way, and it wouldn't have been, you know, taken kind of across the bow. Because here's my other thing. He's bragging about ESPN, and and Ward pointed out that every school is going to get $6 million. I guarantee you this. If Memphis is not in this league, every school ain't getting $6 million. Every school is going to be getting $4 million or $3 million. But by Memphis and the presence they've built, again, most wins in the AAC since 2014. Most wins in the AAC. Uh, Jeb pointed out two titles, three divisions, three championship grains, and eight straight bowl games. If football is the driver, which it is, then what the hell else are you expecting Memphis to do? Like uh, that's just my overwhelming question of why you say, well, Memphis needs to step up. Well, you know, we, we've done our stepping up. It's time for somebody else to carry the water. I'm going to ask this question real fast. UTSA, when they look at the schedule next year, they're going to look to see when they play SMU and when they play Memphis and, 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 and you can bet that's what they're looking at. And, 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 and they're not going to look and look, no, no, nothing against these other schools, but they're not going to give a flip more or less when they go play Tulane. Look, I love Tulane. I love going to New Orleans. Everybody loves going to New Orleans, but that's, but that's not what their fans are going to look at it going, man, I really want to watch that game. Yeah. I really want to go to that game. How are they going to, how are they going to feel Thursday night in Charlotte, North Carolina? At seven, you know, what, whatever o'clock. In front of 6,600 fans. Oh, you're being far too generous. But anyway, I didn't want to get off on a tangent, but I did want to kind of get that off my chest because it's been a it's been a, a rough, rough day. Yeah, Jeb just brought up another one. East Carolina. Like, number one, as Jeb, still one of my favorite quotes of all time when he was describing Greenville, North Carolina, you have to mean to go there. Like, like there's no accidental, oh, I stumbled into Greenville. That doesn't happen. But uh, anyway, one of the reasons I was in a bad mood is I was actually supposed to do a show next week uh, from a distance further than we've ever done one before. I was going to be in the Dominican Republic, but of course, as everybody's probably heard, uh, Hurricane Fiona tore through there a little bit unexpectedly on sat on uh, last night. Somebody get Shrek on this ASP. Right. Get, get, 
got somebody get uh, Shrek under. We're going through our little Disney run here. I think it's Ga- I think it's Gaston, but the next name storm will be Gaston, which uh, I think it's Gaston though, which is going to uh, right now when it forms, it looks like it's going to swing up Jamaica and, and possibly get into the Gulf next week. Um, but our thoughts go out to all the people in Puerto Man. Puerto Rico got hammered, Dominican got hammered, and Turks and Caicos got it today. Um, areas that don't typically see a ton of hurricane activity just kind of got hammered a little bit. So uh, thoughts go out to them. Um, just a brutal situation for folks that don't have a lot of the things that we have here. But anyway, so I was supposed to be there next week, and then I was going to change plans at Jamaica, and now it looks like there's another hurricane. So, so uh, I was in advance to the fine folks of Cancun, Mexico, because I'm supposed to be there in two weeks. So uh, we'll see how that all turns out. But I did want to just give thoughts to them so that's going to do it for this week uh reminder over at tsr we have the 901 special after the 901 game on saturday an entire year uh, and i promise it's better than this uh this is <laughs> this is one of our pieces of many pieces of content we do uh really hyped for basketball too we've got a couple folks that are going to be coming on board for hoops and really excited about all that so for the best co-co-hosts in all the land larry marley And Brian Moss, this is John Maddox signing off, saying we'll see everybody next time.